This is in between. I think the truth is nobody really likes being in between. In between things is not necessarily our happiest place. It's kind of that awkward phase. Y'all know about it because y'all went through it at some point in your life. That awkward phase between things. And what's hilarious about life is that this awkward phase never really goes away. Because we find ourselves transitioning time and time. Again, the transition between child and teenager. Right? This is kind of difficult. Right? It starts getting difficult at about two and a half when they stop being cute and start being annoying. Right? Those of you who have kids know what I'm talking about. They're running around and destroying things. You kind of have to treat them like animals. Like you have to hide things because otherwise they'll get into it. I remember Nikki and I babysitting for our friends before we had kids. And we didn't know that you have to hide things from little kids. And so we went to sleep. We thought everything was fine. These two young kids, like little boys, literally snuck down out of their bedroom in the middle of the night and raided the kitchen. We came down the next morning, and they had literally looked like a bunch of terrorists had like been to my house, like their house. Thankfully, it wasn't my house. They tore the place apart. It was just wild. I didn't know anything about kids until I had kids. The one little boy wouldn't go to sleep, so we kept putting him in bed, and then he kept coming out. And so eventually we thought, well, that's not going to work, so we put him in his room, and we closed the door. He then began screaming. And then he would open the door and come back out. So I had to sit there and hold the door shut. And the little kid, he's so pure evil, he laid on the floor and put his mouth right at the crack between the door and the floor. And that's where he screamed, I hate you. Like, it was, <laughs> it was crazy. I pray for you, man. If you have little kids, I'm sorry. You know? Oh, that's a bad, bad situation. Child to teenager. Nikki was very happy to have babies. I was looking forward to having teenagers. And that transition time can be quite difficult. Especially as they get older, teenagers start thinking that they're autonomous adults. And I keep telling them, you live in my house. This is not a democracy. You know, like the second you want to start being free, go ahead and be free to leave. Right? They're 17. They think they own the world. They don't own anything yet. Everything they use, you own. Right? And it's a little bit awkward. Child to teen, teen to adults. Let's change Let's talk about relationships. Remember when you take someone out on a date? It's funny, as I wrote this, I was like, hmm, I don't really know what dating is like anymore. I've been married for 21 years. So forgive me if I'm dating myself with these old-fashioned notions. But I remember you would go on dates. You would invite somebody out. You would do something. Sometimes you would go out in a group context. You'd hang out. You're dating. And then you transition into this phase where you are only dating that person. And sometimes it's a little bit weird you're like, I'm, I guess I'm not allowed to date anyone else. Any, should I maybe ask about that? I don't know. It's a little weird, right? You don't know what to do. And then eventually that person that you're dating exclusively, sometimes that person becomes your fiancé, which is extremely strange. And if I remember it correctly, kind of extremely difficult. Because you're not married yet, but you're kind of supposed to act like you're married, but not really. And it's like, why are you telling me what to do? Oh, this is a sign of things to come. Okay. I understand that now, right? Dating and then engaged and you get married. And then even once you're married, there's this whole season of transition where you move from being married to being one flesh. We tend to interpret the Bible's words about the two shall become one flesh as strictly sexual, right? That the two come together and they become one flesh. And yes, there are strong sexual undertones there. 
But those of you who have been married for more than three months know that there's a whole other level to one fleshness. Right? You eventually get to the point where you don't know where you end and your spouse begins. You start completing each other's sentences. You start doing things that they used to do that drove you crazy. That's when you know your life is over. When you start doing the annoying things that your spouse used to do that would drive you crazy, you've like become your, you're like, oh no, it's happened and the two have become one flesh. But on the way there, it's a little bit awkward. It's a time of transition. It's an in-between phase. How many of you have ever been in-between jobs? Show me your hand. Isn't that the worst? It's the worst. Because you think you're never going to work again. You ever felt that way? You're like, that's it. That's the last paycheck I'm ever going to get. You ever felt that way? Like, I'm never getting paid again. (laughs) It's so fun. Like that night, right? Say you lose a job or say, I don't know, you move on for some reason. You know that night, that first 3 a.m. in the morning, you're like, it's over. Like, you start preparing to starve to death, right? You're so freaked out. Being in between jobs is no fun, right? You got to work to find that next job. That's not easy, right? Sometimes transitions are quick. Sometimes, you know, the next thing comes along right away. But sometimes we have to search for a while. If you've ever been there in between jobs, you know that that's not a happy time. How about those of you who just graduated high school, Or maybe you just finished university, that phase where you're in between school life and working life. And no one really tells you how you're supposed to navigate that. Right? You think, I'm going to graduate and immediately start earning high six figures at IBM. But it doesn't usually work that way. Depending on your industry, you have to go into a whole series of menial tasks and paying your dues kind of moments. You're in between graduation and, you know, someday, hopefully, doing what God has called you to do in a way that's effective. You are in between, and nobody likes being in between. Why? Because we all want to arrive. Don't you want to arrive? Like, I want to arrive. Like, the flight isn't much fun. You know, even if you're flying business class, eventually your butt starts to hurt. Right? It's just not that fun. I mean, there are parts of it that are okay. I I like drinking ginger. It's free ginger ale. I'm like, hey, this is, I didn't pay, well, I guess I did pay for it. But it still feels kind of free. Right, so there are things that are fun, but you know, nothing's fun anymore after seven hours. Right? You know how the bathroom gets when you're flying, you know, a long, long you know what I'm talking about. Eventually you just don't want to go anymore because it's just so horrible. Right? The in-between's not so fun. We all want to arrive. Once you walk out into the fresh air of Barcelona, you're like, I'm glad I'm here, but man, you have cast the flight into the sea of your forgetfulness, right? In-between's not much fun because we all want to arrive. And that means learning how to live in between, like Abram. This is Genesis 13, verses 8 through 13 out of the English Standard Version. Take a look. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me, and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left, I will go to the right. Or if you take the right, I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoag. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. 
Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth. So if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which were at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. To appreciate this passage today, you have to appreciate the context. You have to appreciate what's happening in the big picture of Abram's life. So the call of Abram, God calls him to move from Haran, which is north of Israel, north and east, kind of up into Iraq. He calls him to move from Haran with everything he has, everything he owns, everybody who's with him, and to move down to the land of Canaan. Originally says, to a land that I will show you. So Abram undertakes that journey. It would have been a difficult journey, a long journey, especially with a family the size of his and all his people. Okay, we're talking hundreds Perhaps a couple thousand people heading south through the wilderness to Canaan. Not an easy trip, but they arrive. And it's a good land. It's a beautiful land. Even to this day, it's a beautiful land. So that's a good thing. But the Canaanites are in the land, as we explored last week, which is really not a good thing. Then they get over that, and they pitch their tents, and then famine strikes. We skipped a whole section where Abram and his family head down to Egypt to flee the famine. We'll come back to it in week nine. But they head south out of Canaan because the famine is so severe that they're facing starvation and death. So they head south to Egypt, which is a good thing because now they're not going to die because Egypt has the Nile River, and the Nile River Delta was almost always fertile regardless of what was happening drought-wise in the rest of the region. This is why the biblical characters are always heading south to Egypt because of the Nile River Delta. So that's good. We're not going to starve anymore. But it's kind of bad because Pharaoh is mighty powerful and Abram's wife is mighty good looking and Pharaoh has quite the harem. And Abram knows that it's likely that Pharaoh is going to kill him and take his wife. And so anticipating this, essentially, and again, we'll get to this in week nine, Abram trades his wife to Pharaoh for his own skin, which is, you know, on the one hand, a good thing because he's not going to be killed. But now his wife is a member of Pharaoh's harem which, you know, depending on your perspective, is not necessarily the best thing. And then they sort it out because God strikes Pharaoh with plagues. <laughs> it's, like, hilarious. My favorite part of preaching that passage, and I know I haven't preached it for you, but we'll get to it in week nine, is in pointing out how the commentators love to try and find ways to say that Sarah didn't really sleep with Pharaoh, except that God cursed Pharaoh with plagues for sleeping with another man's wife. So they survive that, and now they head back up to Canaan because the famine is over. So that's a good thing. They get back to Canaan, and in fact, the famine is so over that their flocks begin multiplying and multiplying and multiplying some more, which is a good thing. But then we get to the verses immediately preceding our passage where Lot's shepherds and Abram's shepherds are fighting because they have been so blessed by God that their flocks are so huge that there is no room to graze them all. And so Abram's shepherds bring his massive flocks into an area, but Lot's already there. And so Abram's shepherds say, hey, man, Abram's the patriarch. Get out of here. We're going to graze this land. 
And Lot's guys are like, we got here first. Take off. Go find somewhere else. So now we got a problem again. I just want you to appreciate the undulation that's happening in Abram's life. Up, down, up, down, up, down. Good things are happening, but he's got problems. Problem, solution, more problems. Problem, solution, more problems. This is the pattern of life. Is this not the pattern of your life? Good, you're biblical. Problem, so we get so discouraged, don't we? Because we just want it to be all solution. Right? Isn't that how you want your life to be? One ongoing solution. Problem, solution. New problems. You need to accept that this is the pattern of life and you need to learn to adjust to it. Verse 8, let there be no strife between you and me, says Abram to Lot, for we are kinsmen. Let's stop fighting because we're family. You're like, yeah, right, that's going to (laughs) work. How many of you have families who fight? Don't show me your hand. You know, let's stop fighting, we're family. You're like, sometimes family fights are the best kind of fights. We shouldn't be fighting, we're family. It's actually a little more interesting and applicable in the Hebrew. Let there be no strife between us, ki anashim achim anachnu. Let there be no strife between us because we are mortal brothers. I love that Abram appeals to their shared mortality as a way through their conflict. That'll preach right there. He points out their shared mortality. Ki anashim, mortals, achim, brothers, anachnu, we are. We're, we're mortal. We're, we're, we're dying. We're all dying anyway. How much of our life do we want to spend fighting? I was like, whoa, that's applicable to me today. You're dying. Do you really want to spend your life fighting? Next time somebody's mean to you, just remind yourself, he's dying. That's why he's grumpy all the time. Especially if he doesn't know Jesus yet. Can you imagine how grumpy you'd be all the time if you didn't know Jesus? You knew you were dying. And there was nothing you could do about it? And you had to go to a job you hate to do something that doesn't really matter, to earn not enough money, to live in a place that's not inspiring, with a wife who's annoying and kids who are disobedient? And, I mean, your only release was hockey night in Canada and six beers? How pathetic would that be? And I'm sorry, but last time I checked, that is the norm for many people in our culture. And I'm just talking there about the men. What about the women? Can you imagine being married to a man who was grumpy all the time? Can you imagine the pain of that? The burden of that? Can you imagine how that would crush your soul when you woke up every day? And you thought, you know, today's the day he's going to be happy. And he wasn't. Imagine that was times seven days a week, times 12 months, times 27 years. Is it any wonder that so many people just call it quits? They're like, you know what? I just can't put up with your grumpiness anymore. And you know what? That's real. If you're given to grumpiness, you need to repent, especially if you have Jesus. Because when you have Jesus, you're like, wait a second. All of a sudden now there's, there's purpose to my pain. Right? I, I wake up every day and it's a chance for me to walk with Jesus. I wake up every day and I'm one step closer to 
Zion, I'm one step closer to the new Jerusalem. I wake up every day and it's one more opportunity for me to join him on his mission to change the world. I wake up every day and I'm okay because he's made me okay. Because Jesus, who was God in a body, perfectly satisfied the will of God the Father. Perfectly satisfied it. And eventually gave himself up to die on a cross. Hung there between two thieves. And as he hung there, God the Father placed on him your sin and mine. Meaning that Jesus, fully God and fully man, the real Jesus, really died for you. And so all your badness, all your grumpiness, all your selfishness, all the things that you do over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, those sins, past, present, and future, were laid on him in that moment. Okay, this is the Christian genius. This is the whole point of Christianity. And that Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, big enough to take it, once and for all paid the penalty for your sin and mine. God the Father punished him in your place. God the Father chastised him instead of you. He died. And then he rose again. I love that song we sang today. The tomb that soldiers watched in vain was borrowed for three days. His body there did not remain. Our king has robbed the grave. Jesus Christ rose again the third day, the first Easter morning defeating in his body the power of Satan, sin, death, and hell forever. It's like he stood up and said, just kidding. And because of that, you have a whole new way to be human. You don't have to punish yourself for your sins, your wrongdoings. You don't have to. You don't have to beat yourself up over those things. You should recognize them. You should repent of them. You should stop doing them because the wages of sin is still death. And so the more you sin, the more death you're going to invite into your life. And let's all be honest, the less death, the better. When you speak about your eternal destiny, you speak about your ultimate destination, in light of Jesus, everything looks good for you moving forward. Everything looks better and better for you moving forward. As you begin to walk in what Jesus has accomplished for you, your life is just going to get better and better. Does that mean you're not going to suffer anymore? No, you're going to keep suffering but you will have a way to live through your suffering because your eyes will be on Jesus. You'll know what he did for you, and that'll mean that everything you're walking through is okay, is going to be okay, and was made okay, so you're okay. When you have Jesus, you can learn how to live in between. When you have Jesus, you can accept that you're only human, and therefore, so is everybody else. Isn't that liberating? I'm only human, and so is everybody else. We often fail to emphasize the second part of that phrase. I'm only human, and so is everybody else. So cut them some slack. Stop fighting and do the right thing. Abram does the right thing in verses 9 through 11. Take a look. It's not the whole land before you. Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, just like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This is before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from one another. I love what Abram does here. He says to Lot, look, you've got the whole land in front of you. 
It's all available to you. If you go left, I'll go right. If you go right, I'll go left. Note this. Okay, as you learn to live well in between, note that Abram defers to Lot. He defers to him. This is self-giving love in action. This is what biblical love practically looks like. Defer to one another. You go left, I'll go right. You go right, I'll go left. You go first, I'll take what's left. We tie ourselves up in knots wondering how to walk out biblical love. It's really just that simple. Defer to one another in Love. You want to learn to live in between. Defer your best for others. Isn't that counterintuitive? It's counterintuitive, right? You're like, that doesn't make any sense. I know. I know. But in Jesus, we have a whole new way of being human. I want to point out that the selfish reaction we all have to this kind of teaching is inbred in us as a result of the fall. The urge to look out for number one. The urge to do what's best for you. That's not the way of Jesus. It's not the way of the Bible. We need to learn to defer our best for others. We need to learn to embrace what's counterintuitive, what doesn't necessarily make sense. Because we see here in our story today that Lot did what made sense to him. And we'll find out as the story continues whether or not what he did was ultimately the best choice. Look at verses 10 through 13. See what happens. Lot lifts up his eyes. He sees that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord. He sees that it looks like the land of Egypt, the land that they just returned from, the land that they always flee to in times of famine. So he chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from one another. Verse 12. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. That's a little um, foreshadowing verse right there. If you know the Bible at all, you know that something very bad happens to Sodom and Gomorrah. If you've never, ever explored the story, we will in a few weeks. It's a bad place and very bad things happen there. Lot chooses to move his family there. If only he'd stopped to ask God. I love as a preacher that there's no indication that Lot spent any time asking God what he should do. And this stands in stark contrast to the way in which we see God's patriarchs and matriarchs continue to live their life. A life of constantly asking God, hey God, what should I do? Should I go to the left or should I go to the right? But Lot doesn't do that. He doesn't ask God. If you want to learn to live in between, start asking God about everything and then do what he says. Should I do this, Lord? Did you ever do that? Did you ever just stop and ask? Like, I'm thinking about this, but I'm wondering what you think. I sometimes do it like I speak just that casually to the Lord. I'm thinking this is what we're going to do, Lord. Um, Is that okay with you? And I got to tell you, I have never asked that question and not gotten an immediate answer. Like, immediately. I immediately know the answer. Immediately. All my life, I say, Lord, should I do this or not? I immediately get an answer. Is this okay with you or not, Lord? I immediately know the answer. So, I just want to invite you to experiment. If you've never experienced that, start asking God. Lord, where should I move? 
Should I move there or should I move there? Ask God about everything, then do what he says. Look at verse 12. Abram settled in the land of Canaan. The land of Canaan was where God sent Abram to in the first place. I love that he goes back to where God told him to go originally. He's habitually obeying God. He knows what God has said. Therefore, he does what God has said, even though time has passed. Do not allow yourself to forget what God has said through the passage of years, but continue to do what he said even today. He may have told you something seven, eight, nine, ten years ago. Keep doing it. Don't stop. Keep doing the right thing. Keep doing what God told you to do. I love what the Bible says in the Hebrew. Abram settled in the land of Canaan. In Hebrew, it says yashav. Yashav Avraham. Beknaan. Yashav is the word for sit down. Our interpreter renders it settled. Originally, it meant sat down. The implication for you is this. When God tells you to do something, sit down on it. I like that. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm staying. You know, like a three-year-old? No. Not moving. I like that. God tells you something, sit down on it. V'yashav Avraham b'knaan. He sat down. When you know that God has told you to do something, sit down on it. I like that. I could take that with me this week. Right? Don't get scattered. Don't get frantic. Sit down. I'm staying. I'm staying right here. I'm not moving. You want to learn to live in between. Stay where God puts you until God tells you otherwise. Look at verses 14 through 17. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring can also be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. This is my favorite part of the passage. This is the positivity right here. I may not raise my voice, but let me tell you, it has raised my heart rate. I love this part of the passage. And the Lord, verse 14, said... Again, we need to learn and relearn to expect God to speak to us in times of transition and uncertainty. So often we avoid transition and uncertainty at any cost and therefore disqualify ourselves from hearing the voice of God because he often speaks just in those moments of transition and uncertainty. In those moments when you need him to speak is typically when he does speak. And if your life is just business as usual, no risk, no danger, no uncertainty... What need do you have of God to speak to you? You're not doing anything exciting or dangerous. You're like, why does God never speak to me? Because you never do anything. Right? Expect God to speak to you, especially in times of transition or uncertainty. And look what he says. I love this. What he says here effectively to Abram is this. Save your worldview, baby. Save the way you see things. Save your perspective. I get all that from this. Lift up your eyes and look, verse 14. Lift. This is the best moment for me of this text. Lift up your eyes and look. 
The word for lift in the Hebrew, let's hear if you can, let's see if you can go there with me, even though Hebrew is not your first or second language necessarily. Let's see if you can hear it before I even lead you there. Lift up your eyes and look. Yasha enecha. Yasha is the word for lift. Yasha enecha. Has anyone got it? You know what yasha leads us to? Yasha. Let's add a vav. Yeshu. Let's add an aleph. Yeshu ah. Which is the name of our Lord Jesus. Yeshua. The lifted up one. I said it without shouting. Somebody shout. (laughs) Y'all feel me? Y'all feel me, right? Y'all feel me. There goes my heart rate. Yasha enecha. Lift up your eyes. Yasha. Yeshua. The lifted up one. Save your perspective. Save your worldview. Save the way you see things. Get some Jesus in your worldview. Get some Jesus in your perspective. Get some Jesus in the way in which you see things. Lift up your eyes and look. Hallelujah. Jesus Christ, the lifted up one, has saved you from having to see the world the way everybody else sees it. They see a roadblock. You see an opportunity to go off-roading. That'll preach. They see a closed door. You see God saving you from making a dreadful mistake. The Bible says that God closes doors that no man can open and opens doors that no man can shut. So you come to a closed door, you accept it as God's kindness. They see scarcity. You see an opportunity to trust. They see sickness. You see a reminder that God is in charge and heaven is your home. Somebody shout, help me out here. That's what sickness is. It's a reminder that you're not in charge and God is and heaven is your home and your body may be broken down. That's to make you happy the day you awaken and it's like this and it ain't broke no more. You go running off through the fields of the Lord screaming hallelujah at the top of your lungs because your body works. It's a resurrected body like his resurrected body. It's a body that's not going to die anymore just like your body wasn't made to die originally but fell into death and curse as a result of the sin of our first parents, Adam and Eve. Whoo! Help me, Jesus. Do you see? Lift up your eyes and see. Lift up your eyes and see. Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are. Friends, you're somewhere, but you're not going to be there forever. Right? Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are. Yes, we're here. Yes, this is difficult. Yes, it's not much fun. But we're not going to be here forever. I'm not staying. I'm not staying. I'm not staying. I'm here, but only for a little while. Friends, look from where you are to where you're going. You want to learn to live in between? Get a big vision for your life. 
Verse 15, for all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. Man, this is a Mufasa and Simba moment, right? Everything the light touches. Come on now. Somebody shout, you know. Somebody get happy, you know. Lift up your eyes and see for all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. You want to learn to live in between? Feel me on this. Oh, I just pulled a peck. Holy cow. I can't shout anymore, so it's like I'm flexing. Help me understand, Lord. Huh? You want to learn to live in between? Feel me now. You remember that in Jesus, you've been grafted into the old money family of old money families. Right? Everything you see, I'll give to you and to your offspring forever. You've been grafted into the old money family of old money families. You should live like a billionaire heiress. Except a redeemed one because of Jesus. (laughs) And not just you, but many, 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 many other people. This is where a Christian preacher preaches this text different than a rabbi. Rabbi preaches this text and says, see, you're descended from Abram. You're part of the elite of the elite of the elite. And then the Christian gospel comes in and says, yeah, you and everybody else who wants to come to the wedding feast of the Lamb. (laughs) Come, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Verse 16, I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth. Okay, this is a powerful reminder that God is in the business of adopting innumerable people into the family of his friend Abram. The very important point for you here that you need to not forget. I'm almost done. Okay, very important. The gospel is not primarily about you. Okay, the gospel is primarily about God and his people. Okay, and yes, you are one of his people, but the starting point for the gospel is not me, it's not you, it's not us. The gospel is not primarily about you. He's not your own personal Jesus, someone to hear your prayers, remember, someone who cares. Boom, 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 it's a good song, look it up, personal Jesus. But it's theology sucks. And I get that they were mocking us, but honestly, what the H-E double hockey sticks do they know about my Jesus? Not much. I don't even let that stuff bother me. Okay, the gospel is not primarily about you. The gospel is primarily about God and his people. And you are one of his people. And his people are innumerable. There's a church growth strategy for you right there. I'll hang my hat on that one. So um, how big are you hoping we'll get? I mean, as big as possible. Why? Well, because very clearly here, God's people are innumerable. If you could count the sand of the sea, the dust of the earth, you could count God's people. The point is you can't count them. So we'll keep building. Man, in light of this, you need to get up and start acting like it. Look at verse 17 through 18. (laughs) That's the best day of my life. Arise. 
Walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. Didn't I tell you last week that God says go? Look what he says. He says, arise, get up, arise, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. What's he saying to Abram here? And because you've been adopted into that family and you're an heiress of that family, you're an heir of that family, he's saying it to you. What's he saying? He's saying, get up, get going and claim your destiny. Go for a walk. Walk the whole country. Because I will give it to you. You want to learn to live in between? Get up. Man, treat each new day like an adventure. All right? Those of you who teach kindergarten for a living, you know exactly what I'm talking about. All right? Act like a kindergarten teacher. What's going to happen today? Okay? Feel it. Change how you do what you do. Treat each day like an adventure. Think of you, Meyer. The woman, anyway... Ask her sometime. You think your life is hectic? Ask this wave, Meyer, in case you don't know who you are. This is my friend, Meyer. She's a principal at a crazy school. <laughs> She's told me some stories. A great school. Okay? You get up and you act like that's your life. Treat each new day like an adventure. Get up. Get going. Walk through the world God has put you in knowing that he owns it and you are joint heir of it with Christ. Therefore, in light of that, claim your destiny, because verse 17 says that he will give it to you. Whoa, I sound almost like a prosperity preacher this morning. It's nice to visit that land once in a while. This is all going to be mine someday. That's what Abram would have been thinking as he walked throughout the land. You should do that sometime. Try it on for size. This is all going to be mine someday, for the meek shall inherit the earth. And meekness is the result of following Jesus, because you're like, your name... Your name is victory. That name, that name does not belong to me. I made that second part up. Right? He's awesome. I'm not. He's amazing. I'm just a guy. Right? You walk with Jesus long enough, you become the meek of the earth, and you're going to inherit this place. So act like it. In Christ, you're a descendant of Abram. The promise to Abram is a promise to you. So, and I'm done, worship team. If you're not, they're here. They're ready to go too. Woo! Okay? So in Christ, the promise to Abram is God's promise to you. So, pitch your tent, live near your friends, and worship Jesus. We get this from verse 18. So Abram moved his tent and came to settle by the oaks of Mamre, the Ammonite, which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. It's how you live in between. Pitch a tent. Don't build a house. But Todd, you live in a house. I know, but treat it in your mind like it's a tent. Don't hang on to it so tight. Don't act like you're going to be there forever. Call to mind the fact that someday you're going to die and somebody else is going to live there. It's not yours. It belongs to Jesus. You're just visiting it for a while. Okay? Pitch a tent. Don't build a house. You're only here for a minute. Why? Because heaven is your home, and your house is in the New Jerusalem. Oh, celebrate. That's where your house is. So pitch a tent, and then hang with your friends. I love this. Where does he pitch his tent? At the Oaks of Mamre. And this is where the English translation falls flat. It sounds like he's settled by the Oaks of Mamre. In Hebrew, it's like by the Oaks of Mamre. 
Like he put his tents by Mamre's oaks. Like who's Mamre? He's a dude. We meet him next chapter. He's one of Abram's friends. He goes to live near his friends. Grace, you're pretty good at this, right? This church has been together a long time. I'm so happy about all the new people coming into this church because they get to come into that friendliness. A bunch of people that stayed together. Nikki keeps saying, I've never met more people who like stayed in the same city their whole life. It's crazy. We're like, I know. But it's biblical. It's biblical. He pitches his tent at his friend's place. <laughs> Bet you didn't know that, right? Hey, stay where your friends are because life is too filled with problems not to have some friends around. Amen? Amen. Somebody shout. And then worship Jesus. He built an altar. Do you notice that Abram never stops building altars? Everywhere he goes, he builds an altar. Why? So he can worship the Lord. He never stops worshiping Jesus. Neither should you. Okay? Accept your mortality and stop fighting. Defer your best for the sake of others. Ask God about everything and then do what he says. Stay where God puts you. Expect God to speak in times of transition and uncertainty. Lift up your eyes and look, letting Jesus completely change the way you see the world, keeping in mind that you're somewhere, but you're not going to be there forever. So get a big vision for your life and remember that you come from old money and not just you, but many, 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 many more people. So get up, get going, claim your destiny while living like you're camping with your friends at a worship service. And that's how you live in between.